Well, good morning to all of you. Um, I'm talking right now to four people in person and um, maybe some others at home. And maybe before we begin, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord God, we know that you are faithful, that you have wisdom beyond what we have, foreknowledge of the future, and knowledge of us individually. And I just pray, Lord, that as we think a little bit this morning um, on your call, opening up your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, calm our spirits, help us to be able to focus on you, and, and help my mind to be focused as well, to hear what it is that you want me to share. Lord, thank you for your blessings, your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, it's a little unusual. I am not really picturing many people here, um, and I suppose there's some people listening, and some will be listening later. And this is because of COVID virus. And I, I thought this morning maybe about speaking on fear, and I just, maybe I will speak on that down the road because I, I have some notes on that, but I had been working on a message on God's call. And maybe it seems like a strange sort of message to have in a time of fear, and yet it felt oddly appropriate. Um, some of this comes out of a book that I listened to, um, an audiobook um, by a, a, a man by the name of Os Guinness. He's, a, I'm guessing, Irish. Os is not a common name around here. O-S. Um, sounds like operating system, but I don't think so because he's much older than most operating systems that are available today. Um, but right now we're facing a time of fear and unknown. And at the same time, I think if we look back into the past, we can see clearly that most of the men and women of faith did not know what was going to happen when they responded to God's call. They only knew that they had no choice. Um, and for whatever reason, my mind went to a quote of Samwise Gamgee. So um, for those of you who have not read it, um, he's a character in The Lord of the Rings. And at one point, he is um, at the top of the stairs leading to Kirith Ungol, uh, which is a terrible tower. And he's talking to his friend Frodo, and he says, I used to think that they were things that wonderful folk of stories went out and looked for. He's talking about adventures because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have landed in them. Usually the, the, their paths were laid out that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on. And not all to a good end, mind you, at least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. And so this morning, we are in a story. We are in a path that was prepared for us. And the question is, do we take the challenges 
that the day holds for us. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call, and I get phone calls periodically, um, and um, on the other end of the line um, was a man. He said, hello, sir, this is Robert with U.S. Pharmacy. Do you feel like you're spending too much for your medicines? And honestly, I didn't think so. Um, and um, so I talked to him for a very, very brief period of time, and then I, I hung up because he wanted to sell me different things. Um, and I didn't ask for this call. And I was not interested in what Robert was offering me. Um, and honestly, if, if I'm going to tell the truth, I have a sneaky suspicion that he did not have my best interest at heart. And if I'm honest, most of the calls I get every day are, are spam calls. Um, there's somebody trying to sell me a home security system or tell me that I stayed in a resort last summer that I don't think I stayed in and, and want me to come back. Um, and I wonder sometimes what it says about me that most of the people that call me are after my money. And yet there's one who's calling me and each one of us, and he doesn't want our money, he wants our hearts. And God calls each one of us. He does not want to sell us cheaper medicines or better home security or even a new warranty on your truck or car. Um, but he is calling us to an upward call. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul talks about this. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we know that Paul, in the book of Philippians, was writing from prison. And he's looking back on his calling so many years ago, and it began with a bright light and a voice. And most of us have not had that sort of a call. What was that initial call? And we don't really know except what God said to Ananias. In Acts 9, 15 and 16, he said, um, that is God said to Ananias, go for he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. And clearly God's call of Paul was away from his old life with his zealous but pharisaical tendencies, and it was eventually going to be a call to a life of a missionary. And it also says at the beginning that it was going to be a life of suffering. And I think this morning as we think about it, God's call is the same for us. It is always away from something, specifically away from this world, a life of sin, and it is towards something else, a life of holiness. Ephesians 4.1 Paul says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And as we heed his call, our lives will not be easier. And I don't think 
anybody who says that um, is telling the truth. Um, in fact, they're going to be harder, but at the same time, they will be more fulfilling. And that's a difference, right? Um, so, you know, if you live your life and you have a life of ease and you never do anything hard, um, at the end of it, you are not going to be very fulfilled, but you certainly will be um, relaxed, I'll say. Um, and I don't think God calls us to a life of relaxation. And I thought maybe we would go and look at three different examples of God's calling in Scripture um, and three different responses to that call. So the first in, um, example is the I'm not interested response. So, um, so you all have had someone call with something, um, and maybe it was a computer or maybe it was something else. Um, and you just said, I'm not interested, and you hung up. Or you didn't even say, I'm not interested, you just hung up. Um, and so the person who comes to mind in Scripture for this is Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3, verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. This is Exodus 3, verse 2. And then down in Exodus 3, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? And here's a little uncertainty as the source of the call. Um, and maybe we could say, you know, I, you're on the phone and you say, Is this really U.S. pharmacy? You sound as though you're calling me from India or Pakistan. But Moses here is asking God to identify himself. Um, and he's asking purportedly for the purpose that the people he's going to would know. Um, but I think the reality is that Moses himself was uncertain. Who was this who was calling him? And God's answer to this was to reveal himself and his name to Moses. We jump down just a little bit further, um, Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And here you see fear, fear of the people, and fear as well of the disconnect between the power of God's message and the weakness that Moses felt inside himself. And God's answer here was to reveal his power through Moses through some signs. A hand with leprosy that went away, a staff that got turned into a snake, and the ability to turn water into blood. And then we jump down a little further. So this is still Moses kind of making excuses um, to God. Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And here he's a little bit more honest, isn't he? He says, I don't have the ability. Lord, I see the problem. I see the issue that you've put before me. I saw it a long time ago, Lord. But I just don't have the ability to do what you're asking me to. You know, Lord, there's a lot of politicians out there that are pretty smooth with their tongues. They can say things that I can't say. Choose one of them 
And God has two answers. First of all, he tells Moses that he, God, made men's tongues and that he will speak through him. And then when Moses is still resistant, he tells Moses that he will send a spokesman, that is his brother Aaron, um, to be with him. And then finally, we jump down to Exodus 4, verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And we get to the end of it. Moses is done. He's, he, he's just not buying it. God has something for him, but he doesn't want any part of it. And this is Moses at his most honest. He didn't ask for this call. He doesn't think he is adequate, and he really wants God to call someone else. He thinks God has a wrong number. Surely, God, you have some other people on your list. Why don't you call some of those? And at this point, God finally gets angry. He has answered every single one of Moses' excuses, but he cannot use an unwilling subject. And we never actually see Moses say, okay, God, I'm going to go. I give in. You're right. I, I don't know. It doesn't sound good to me, but I'm... Uh. He never says that. All he does is we see him telling his father-in-law that he needs to go back to Egypt to see if his brothers are still alive, which is not the same as saying to Jethro, you know, Jethro, or I'm sure he would say dad because, you know... You don't usually call your father-in-law by his first name. Um, you know, Dad, it's been really fun here hanging out and watching sheep in the desert. Um, but God's called me through a burning bush, and I'm going to go set the Israelites free from their slavery in Egypt, and I'll see you after a while. Meet me in the desert. And it's confusing, perhaps, to think of denying a straight call from God. But when you really don't like what he's asking you to do, it's definitely in the realm of possibility. And I'm afraid some of us get there. And maybe we argue with ourselves about what our capability is, what somebody else's capability is, and, and we just can't get there. The second example is the wrong number response. And for this, I'd like to go to Jeremiah's call. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. Um, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And 
As I thought about the Old Testament prophets and their calls, I thought about Jeremiah and also about Isaiah. And Jeremiah just really feels realistic to me to where I'm at. Once again, he expresses uncertainty with regard to his abilities. He expresses an understanding of his own limitations, and he expresses a generalized fear of this call. The details of the call begin with a statement of plan. God knew Jeremiah and planned for him before his birth. Okay, and going back to the quote that I had at the very beginning, this story was prepared for Jeremiah. All the terrible things he would go through and the good things as well were set for him. He was the perfect person for this part. The call was to bear a message to people who did not want to hear that message. And the call had two promises, a promise of God giving ability and of God providing protection. It is clear that when God calls someone to do something, he will make sure that that person is able to do it. Um, and once again, we do not know what Jeremiah's end response to this was, but from later on, we do know that Jeremiah continued to struggle with anxiety and fear and depression. At the same time, he continued to share the message even when he knew the people would not accept it. And many people um, call our house um, and Elaine won't be in. Um, and um, they'll say things like, um, could you let Elaine know that I called? Um, and I'm just a wonderful person at remembering a lot of things, but I'm not always good at remembering these messages. And so um, time will go by and Elaine will get home and we eat lunch and, and then uh, that evening, about 9 o'clock, it pops into my head, oh, honey, your, your mom called about 11 o'clock this morning. Um, and, of course, it's too late for her to call then, but um, God's call is often for us to reach out to those around us. The call is not necessarily for us individually, but for the people we see every day. And more than... More often than not, we are called to give God's message to them. And I, I think we think of the prophetic message as always being a negative. Um, John, you are doing a terrible job. I do not see Jesus in your life, and I want you to change. And that could certainly be a message. Um, but I think also God does send us with messages of encouragement and positivity. I see Jesus revealed in you, and I want to encourage you to keep on going. There is a tendency for us to think that when God calls us, he's gotten a wrong number. Um, probably fewer people dial wrong numbers these days than used to be, because, you know, um, you use your cell phone, you just click on somebody's name, and unless you entered the wrong number in your cell phone, um, it should um, it should dial directly to the person you're trying to call. Um, but when we first moved to Virginia, I kept getting calls from people who wanted to talk to Fred. And um, I still don't know who Fred was, um, but he seemed to have a lot of bills that, um, that he wasn't doing a very good job of paying. And he'd given my phone number as his number. Um, and at least he was consistent, I guess, because I got phone calls from a lot of different people. And they were all upset with him. And they would call to talk to him, and they would get me instead. My answer was always, sorry, there's no Fred here. Can, can you just take this number out of your computer? 
Um, but God doesn't make a mistake. He does not call wrong numbers. And when he calls our number, it's because he knows us and our abilities and our weaknesses. And when he calls, it is because he sees the place where we need to be. And the final example that I would like to look at, and this is the one I would like to, to spend maybe just a little bit more time, is the, is this even my phone answer? And this is from Esther. And Esther is, a, is an interesting book. Some people, um, I think Martin Luther even, didn't think it belonged in the Bible. It doesn't mention God. It has no miracles, um, no mention of prayer, only of fasting. Um, but we know the book of Esther, and it's about a Jewish girl who is um, made queen in Persia, and then her people, the Jewish people, were threatened. Um, and her relative, Mordecai, sent a message to her. And let's just turn to Esther chapter 4. And this is the heart of the book, I think. Um, so we have um, Esther has seen Mordecai, and he's um, sitting in sackcloth, and um, she sends some nice clothes down to him, and I guess she's like somebody who just says, doesn't have access to the Internet and hasn't heard that COVID is running rampant through the cities, and just like, you know, why are you all so upset? This is just no big deal. And, um, and he says, haven't you heard? Um, so, so we go to um, Esther 4 and um, verse 13 um, to the end of the chapter. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them, return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, for which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And this is the heart of the book of Esther. From here we know that Esther did go into the king and that she got help. Clearly, Mordecai is identifying a call, and Esther did not hear that call. She didn't even know what was going on necessarily. And in my experience, this is what God's call feels like. We find ourselves in a situation, and we didn't ask to be here, and we didn't cause the situation, but we're here. And we have to ask ourselves, what does God want me to do in this situation? How can I make this better? How can I learn from it what God wants me to learn? How can I encourage the people around me and make a difference in their lives? We are in a specific time and place and situation. 
we see before ourselves a difficult task of some sort. And we question if we have any special abilities at all. What was Esther's special ability? It was just being beautiful, right? And how useful is that in the real scheme of things? Um, I don't know. I've never been beautiful, but um, for those of you who are, maybe you, you wonder sometimes, you know, what can God use my beauty for? Probably none of you are thinking of that actually this morning. Um, but at the end of the day, we question ourselves and whether we are up to the task. And we question really if there is a purpose behind why we are here. It's like when there's a dinging sound and you think it was someone else's phone only to look at yours and realize that it's your phone that's ringing. And so that's where we're at this morning. We are facing a situation in this country, in this world, where there are a lot of people that are afraid. And each one of us needs to ask the question, why did God put me in this situation, and how can I make it better? I'd like to move on just a little bit thinking about the details of God's call, and I, I think we focus on the wrong things when we think about God's call. And God is focused on length and living and not location and type of labor. That is to say, God wants us to serve him with our lives and isn't as concerned with the exact occupation or where we live. And most of the people in Paul's day were not called to be missionaries. They were called to live for Jesus in Corinth or Ephesus or Thessalonica, as the case might be. The second thing is that God always calls us from something and to something else. And those who read the Bible sometimes think that it's just a list of don'ts. Um, but while God calls us from a life of sin, he also calls us to a life of holiness. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are servants of Christ. We bear his name, and we should never do anything that will bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. So, said first of all that God is focused on length and living, that God calls us from something and to something else. The third thing about God's call that I think is really clear from what we've studied already is that God's call is often unexpected and maybe unwanted. Um, and we may feel that God has made a mistake and not believe that our abilities match up very well with his calling. And I'd like to read a, a short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And so it's clear, Paul says this, that God is not calling us based on ability. And maybe in point of fact, he chooses us based on our weaknesses. Uh, we see this in the story of Gideon, doesn't, don't we? Because we look back at Gideon, and Gideon had a big army, and um, God made him shrink the army. And then he sent them into battle with just, um, what, um, clay pots and, uh, and um, trumpets, I guess, or something like that. Um, and um, I guess it was scary enough for the uh, Midianites that they all fled. Um, but it doesn't really matter. The point of God's call is to bring glory to God. God's calling is not something for us to feel proud of. The point has to do with him and not us. If the end result of God's call is that we ourselves have received some glory and, and that we feel proud of ourselves or something like that, then we've missed the point. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten sidetracked and we're pulling in glory for ourselves that belongs to God. And God will choose tasks for us that fit some aspect of who we are. So I, I don't think he's just, you know, he's like, boy, John, you know, I know you went to medical school, but um, I, I think, I think uh, the next um, three years, I'm going to have you run a backhoe. Um, because I don't have any skill in that. And, um, and I guess I could learn, and that would probably be a useful skill to have, um, um, although I don't own a backhoe. But uh, regardless, God is, is going to choose something that, that uses um, the skills and the talents that he sees inside of me. Um, so we've got a couple of things here. So God is focused on living and length, God calls us to, from something and to something else. And often God's call is going to feel unwanted. The next thing that I would say is that every one of us receives a call. So, you know, our church is looking at an ordination at some point. Um, I guess when coronavirus calms down. Um, and maybe... Some people are thinking about God's call in that respect. But I would say that every single person receives a call from God. Os Guinness talks about the Catholic distortion, um, and he also talks about the Protestant distortion. Um, but the Catholic distortion is the idea that people who give themselves to full-time ministry for God are the people who are doing the really important work. In Catholic theology, is people who enter the orders, becoming a nun or a, a priest or a, um, or a monk, who are really responding to the call. The rest of us are just sort of like hangers-on and, and trailers behind. And I think sometimes we can feel this. Um, I, I worked with a, a lady um, who was running a clinic, um, a doctor lady in, um, in El Salvador. And while she was seeing patients and, and just really um, running from room to room and just totally worn out, um, um, a friend of hers was um, talking to the people outside and, and doing Bible stories and, and maybe telling them some things about hygiene and, and different things. And, and the question was, which task was more important? 
And I think we jump to the conclusion, well, you know, the Bible stories is what's important. You know, the, the, you know, the, the people, you know, um, Janet didn't even really have time to, to spend time witnessing to people. She's seeing, you know, 50 or 60 patients a day, sometimes more. And, you know, was what she was doing really important in the whole scheme of things? But it was. Both of them were important. And so, um, you know, our goal is not to, to say, oh, only people who receive a call to the ministry are truly important. Um, this would be a lot like the priesthood model of the Old Testament, where the priests and the Levites were the people who had a connection with God. But we know that things have changed today. Jeremiah in verse 31, I'm sorry, in chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, talks about what we would like to see here in the 21st century. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall they each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It was a big deal in the Old Testament when God's Spirit came on a man. But in the New Testament, it should be something that all of God's children experience. So every one of us receives a call, not just the ones of us who have a, a call to be a missionary or an evangelist. Next thing that I see is that God's call is general. This is a call to follow Jesus. Um, when Jesus was talking to Peter after the resurrection um, in John 21, 19, it says, This spake he signifying by what death he, that is Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And I don't know if Peter understood this. This was talking about Peter being crucified. Okay, so somehow along the way, um, Jesus skipped all the other things that Peter was going to do, all the amazing things along the way, and he just said, you know, there's going to come a time, Peter, when somebody else is going to dress you, and he's going to take you a place you don't really want to go, and you're going to follow me in this respect. And the command still holds firm. We follow Jesus, even though we don't know where that's going to lead. As I was driving here this morning, it was really foggy, and I could not see very far down the road. And, you know, I, I've traveled that road enough times before that I have an idea where the turns and twists are going to come. Um, but in life, we don't know. It is very much a foggy road. Following Jesus is both simple and hard. It means to follow his example when it comes to holy living and commitment to doing the Father's will. But more than that, it means giving up everything else to walk in his footsteps. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And commands like the Great Commission, the commands to love, are to all Christians. They are not calls for individuals. And 
you know, sometimes I, I think we, we think to ourselves, you know, I just don't have a talent for being cheerful. I, I don't have the, you know, God gives some people a talent for love, and my, my talent is long-suffering. And um, I'm really good at that. I don't say a whole lot, but I do suffer, and it's long. And, you know, God, God calls us to put on all the fruits of the Spirit, not just the ones that we think fit us best. And some of them in certain situations are going to be harder than others. So God's call is general. God's call is also specific. He has called us to serve him in a specific area, a specific location, with our specific friends and family and people that we interact with. For me, it's called me to be a doctor. Some of you are going to serve him in different areas. He's prepared us. At the same time, I believe the challenge for us is how do we use those things to bless the people in our workplaces, our homes, and at Bethel Mennonite Church? Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. And I wouldn't say the Ecclesiastes is an upbeat book. It's not. Um, it, it tends to say some really um, downbeat things. Um, but the message is clear. There are jobs that we are set before us, and our job is to do them to the very best of our ability. You know, I was talking, I was thinking about my medical school, and it's been a long time ago now. Um, I graduated from medical school in 1997, so that's 23 years ago, and I got out of um, residency in the year 2000. And if you had told me, you know, in 20 years there's going to be an outbreak of a virus that is going to have your country to your knees and, and you'll need to take care of people in that, um, I would... I don't know what I would have said. I would have said, well, what's going to happen in the meantime? But God called me to that. I think that's, looking at my life, I think that's clear. Um, and God has a place for me in Brookneal, Virginia, and maybe in Lynchburg. So what does this call look like in the real world? And I'd like to finish with the story of Andre and Magda Trachme. Some of you may have heard of them, probably most of you haven't. So Andre Trachme was a pastor of a Huguenot church in, um, in, the, um, in the French Alps, near the border with Switzerland. And so, if you all don't know, the Huguenots were Protestant people. They were um, people that, um, that had been persecuted. France was typically a Catholic country, and they, they were not kind to the Huguenots. Many of them migrated to this country um, to, escape the, um, to escape the persecution, but um, many of them ended up on this high plateau on the border between France and Switzerland. And Andre Trachme began being a pastor there in the 1930s, which was not a very good time to be in Europe. 
And we know that in 1938 um, to 39, the Nazis invaded France. And France was divided up. There were two-thirds of the country went under German rule. One-third of the country remained under French rule. And that French rule was um, um, controlled from the, the city of Vichy. Um, but even though it was technically under French rule, the, the French government did whatever the Germans wanted them to do. And so they were rounding up Jews and sending them off now, they didn't know that they were sending them off to be killed in places like Auschwitz. They thought they were sending them off to be slave labor in, in work camps in Germany. But it doesn't really matter. It wasn't a good thing, and they knew it wasn't a good thing, but they were just trying to get by. And Andre Trockmay, when all of this started, began telling his church we have a responsibility to help people. We have a spiritual obligation to help people in need. And we, it does not matter if they're Jews or not. We need to help them. And there were many hard times. His wife, Magda, told the story that the very first lady who showed up on the plateau, showed up. She was a Jewish lady, and she had nothing. And as she stood on the doorstep, dripping in the rain, she asked for a place. And they didn't have much money. They didn't have any place, really. There were ration cards so that it wasn't easy to get extra food. And they took her in. And her shoes were just not much to look at. And they were, they were soaked through, and so Magda put them by the fire. And unfortunately, they started to melt. They weren't very good quality, and, and they were not wearable. And so Magda Truckmay went through the town, knocking on doors, asking if anybody had an extra pair of shoes. This was hard times. Nobody had an extra pair of shoes, but finally she found some shoes for this lady. And over and over again, they ministered in little ways to people who were in desperate need. And it did not happen without the Gestapo trying to stop them. There were numerous raids on the village. Daniel Trockme, who was Andre's second cousin, had children housed within his home. And when they came, he would not leave them, and he went with them to the concentration camp. And he eventually died in a concentration camp in Germany. When Andre's home was raided and he was arrested, his wife Magda asked the police officers, the gendarmes, to stay and eat supper with them. And they agreed. And while they were there, people from the community began to bring little gifts to the arrested pastor. One of the people brought a candle, but, which was a big treasure for the time. But there were no matches to be found anywhere for this. And at this point, one of the police officers, with tears in his eyes, offered his own matches. Andre was kept with another pastor in a prison camp for six weeks, but was eventually released. And on returning, he continued to help protect the Jewish people 
who came to Le Chambon, which was a town where he was a pastor. It's estimated that somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 Jewish people passed through this and other small villages on the plateau on their way to Switzerland. Some of them stayed there. Switzerland was neutral. It was safe from the Nazis. And yet at the beginning of this, it sounds like a wonderful story, at the beginning of this, Andre Trachme did not want to be there. And he called up the Red Cross and he said, I want to serve in some way. Can I be a stretcher carrier? Can I be a hospital orderly? Can I be something? Because I don't think God is really calling me to be a pastor in a time of war in Europe. And they said, no. No, we don't, we don't need you. Stay home. And yet God put him in this place for a reason. And the point of the call is that God has put us in this place, in Gladys, surrounded by people who are scared half to death. How can we serve him in this time? We can do it by showing love to the people around us. We can show courage in the face of danger. And I wrote a little blog this last week. It talked a little bit about the plague of Cyprian during the third century. The plague of Cyprian was a terrible plague, much worse than, than COVID. Um, and we don't know, um, but there were 5,000 people a day who were dying in Rome. And we know that the Christians remained behind when everybody else fled. So what happens when there's a plague? People flee, okay? If you're in New York City right now and you have any way of getting out of New York City, you get out because you are afraid that the medical facilities are not going to be adequate, that the people around you are going to give it to you. And so you leave. That's what you do. And yet the Christians remain behind. And they ministered to the dying people. And many became Christians as a result of this ministry. And you say, well, it's because of the love they showed. And it was, but it was also because of the fearlessness in the face of death and destruction. People said, you obviously don't have a cure for the disease, but you have something that lets you not be afraid in the face of it. And so that's the question is, how do we bring hope to people who are scared? I think about the verse from John chapter 1 where it talks about John the Baptist, and it says that he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And so that is our call this morning. We need to be honest with people. It's okay to admit that we're afraid, but also to share with them how we are overcoming that fear. And finally, I think it's by being an example. That has to do with our attitude. It also has to do with listening to what the government is asking us to do. Some of us probably don't think this is a big deal, and the government is making a way bigger deal about it, and people are just... just making a big to-do, and if, you know, if they just let it go, it would be okay. Um, I think we have a responsibility to be an example of how to live 
in a hard time. And it may be hard. It may be easy some days. But the challenge is not wishing that we were somewhere else or given some other task, but to apply ourselves to the task at hand. Oskinis finishes every chapter of his book, The Call, with this sentence. Listen to the words which Jesus spoke so many years ago that are both a call and a charge. Follow me. Let's just finish with prayer. Oh, Lord God, I don't know where these words have landed with each person who's listening this morning. I only know that you have a call. You have a call for me. You have a call for each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would make that clear. Tomorrow, this coming week, this coming month, Lord, our nation, our world needs you. And the only way for your message to get out is for your people to live and share it. Lord, just be with our congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.